Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm thrilled you're here. This is an exciting episode. There are a few elements in here that make it different from the other episodes that we put out. In this episode, I'm going to recap my week in Memphis, Tennessee for MLK 50. I'm also going to share several highlights from episodes over the last few months. I've chosen some of my favorites and some of the more memorable moments, and I'm gonna share them with you. And I think you'll find them super, super helpful. Also, we have a special guest returning to the show. She was on 20 odd episodes ago, and she's back for a very special reason. You'll find out in a minute why. But first, the Memphis recap. Last week, I helped produce an event in Memphis for 4,000 people at the convention center. There were many events happening in Memphis last week. They're happening all month in honor of MLK 50. But last week was the week, uh, specifically April 4th on Wednesday, the day 50 years later when he was murdered. It was overwhelming, to say the least, to be in Memphis, Tennessee, 50 years later, 50 years after he was murdered. And to make it even more special, on Wednesday, we paused everything we were doing. We stopped the conference for three or four hours and we all marched down to Lorraine Motel, which is exactly where he was murdered. I was there along with 10,000, 15,000, I don't know the number, 20,000 people. There were thousands and thousands of people I was also there with Bernice King, his daughter and activist. Al Green was there. He sang Precious Lord, Take My Hand. It was amazing. Father Michael Flager was there. He's a priest and activist from Chicago and one of my favorite people. I love his heart. Jesse Jackson was there, Bernie Sanders, and like I said, thousands and thousands of others. And it was, as I've already stated, super overwhelming to be there with all these people at 6.01 p.m. on April 4th exactly 50 years after he was murdered. We all at that moment, everyone shut up. There was a minute of silence. During that minute, minute and a half when we were silent, a bell rung 39 times, one for each year of his life. That was indeed too short. You know, Martin Luther King lived and died by the following quote, which I have shared before, but I want to share it again. He said this, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. This is precisely why, friends, we cannot sit around and say, it's not my problem. That's not my thing. Those are not my people. It is our problem. And Martin left an impact on the earth that isn't going away anytime soon. So it was an incredibly impactful week. I'm still um, I'm still processing and trying to figure out what what all that week meant for me and what I'm supposed to take from it and how I'm supposed to you know continue from here on out uh, living my life. But it was very impactful to say the least. And I, there's a friend of mine who has already been on the podcast, as I mentioned in the intro, who is definitely someone who believes to her core that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. You see, a few days ago in Morristown, Tennessee, that's East Tennessee, ICE, the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, raided a factory that resulted in the forceful arrest of 100 immigrants. 
while they were at work, y'all, I was heartbroken. I was angry when I heard that news. And my friend Beth, who is a damn giver in so many ways, she sprang into action right away to collect funds and supplies for the families left without fathers and mothers as they were hiding in East Tennessee. So she sprang into action, got all the stuff together, mobilized people, mobilized resources, and they took stuff to these families, to these children, to these people in East Tennessee on Saturday. And I shared it on social media. Many of you probably saw it. I texted her late Saturday evening and asked if she wanted to come on the show before we put it out on Tuesday to talk about what she has been feeling the last few days, what caused her to spring into action with this particular thing, and she agreed. So that was Saturday evening. We spent a few minutes recording an update in a coffee shop on Monday, and now you're listening to it on Tuesday. I didn't plan to have this in there. This was supposed to be strictly a Memphis, Tennessee update and a highlights episode, but I wanted this in there because we all can learn so much from Beth, and additionally, we need to keep on the forefront of our minds and hearts the atrocities that are happening in our country toward refugees, toward immigrants, toward people of color, and Beth definitely helps us in so many ways with that. So without further ado, here's my short conversation with Beth Matthews. Okay, everyone, my friend Beth and I are sitting in the back of Pinewood Social because I don't have a studio right now. And this is kind of last minute based on things that took place just a few days ago in East Tennessee. And so I asked Beth on Saturday evening, do you want to get together to talk about this for a few minutes? We'll throw it on the episode coming up Tuesday. And so here we are. So Beth, thanks for joining me once again. Hi. Thanks you for were on, me. what, like 20 something episodes mm -hmm. ago? And you're back because you're still giving dams, apparently. <laughs> and um, yeah, so some raids happened. Yeah. Or a raid, a big raid happened in East yes. Tennessee. When did you first hear about that raid? Yeah. First, first I want to explain kind of what a raid is, because yeah. I learned through this when I posted about it that um, quite a few people didn't know who ICE hmm. is, which was surprising, but I totally understand. Um, so ICE is the immigration police that um, goes into, well, they're all over the United States, not just the border, and they arrest undocumented immigrants, and they take them to, um, they call them detention centers, but they're basically prisons, and most of them are in Louisiana. So one of these raids happened this past uh, Thursday in a town called Morristown, Tennessee, and I received a call from um, my friend Leah, who works at Turk, which is Tennessee... Immigrant Refugee Rights Coalition. <laughs> and she said that a um, large, aggressive ice raid happened um, at a slaughtering or meat, what do you call it? Like a meat packing? A meat packing yeah. factory um, at, at night. And over almost 100 um, immigrants got arrested. And most of them were undocumented. Some of them were documented, which was... Um, kind of terrible because they just assumed that they weren't. That they all were, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, so they called me, who um, I work with a project called The Mom Bag, and we cre we provide sort of self-care items for refugees and immigrants. And so these families 
while they're in limbo and while they uh, no longer have this income coming in from their family member need need help. So that's how I first got called into this. And that was what day was that? That was Thursday. Thursday. So just mm-hmm. a few days ago. Yes. And how how did how are you feeling? Like how how are you feeling at that moment? I know you're feeling different things now post your trip to yeah. East Tennessee, which we'll get into. But how were you feeling at that moment? I was feeling just pretty frantic because this was the largest raid that happened in the past 10 years. Yeah, it was huge. It's huge. Um, and it happened so close to, to home and you never think that it could happen. To, well, you hope that it never happens to anybody, but especially people that are close to you in your own state. Um, so I was feeling just angry, honestly, really angry and wanted to do something and um, just, yeah. So you could have, like many people do, seen that, said, oh, thoughts and prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll just wait for the next tragedy to happen, the next horrible thing to happen, and then we'll thoughts and prayers it yeah. up again. What did you do? Well, the first thing I did is I texted all of my, my friends and told them what happened to get them rallied and on board. And we created an Amazon wish list for all of these items to be sent directly to the church. So that was the first thing we did. Um, the second thing we did is I woke up the next morning and my friend and I drove to East Tennessee and just went to this church to see what we could do. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we showed up at the church and all the families were there. There were 100 families just sitting in, in this like, communal room waiting to hear where their loved one is, what they are, what's going to happen to them. And um, we just signed up to volunteer, and we were sent to a, a Sunday school room to sort all the donated clothes, which so many people donated, and it was amazing. And um, spent the day, mothers would come into the room, shop, so-called shop, or get items for their children. And um, that was our main thing that we did. Did any person that you meet or story that you heard stick out to you while you were there? Mm. Did anything just kind of, I mean, you saw a lot of things that were probably super shitty and you know, yeah. I would, those are not great rooms to be in. Those are not great situations to encounter. Right. But did anything stick out to you in particular? Mm-hmm. There was, um, right before we left, we were eating dinner in this communal room and, um, I was just, I was sitting there eating my, my dinner and these two boys, two young teenage boys came and sat by me and they're brothers. And I introduced myself and um, asked them like if, how they were affected by this and they said that their dad had been detained and there was a total of six, six brothers in this family and they didn't know where he was or what was going to happen to him and so they were just waiting and this is day three of them waiting to find out what happened and they were scared and just just devastated and um soon after that i went up to the front front to the of uh, the space to give like a little kind of talk and this immigration lawyer came up with a piece of paper in her hand and said like we need to locate this family because we we found found their dad like wh- mm. what where he is and all of a sudden, the two boys that I met and connected with came up to the front, and it was their dad. Wow. And I saw on this piece of paper the dad's name, where he was transferred to, and some information about some money. And then it was these two boys' responsibility to tell their family what had happened. 
And these, these boys were probably 13 and 15. And no, no child should ever have to do that. Like, no, have their I, dad taken away from them. I can't even imagine that happening to... Yeah, I am the one who protects them. Yeah. I am the one who, you know, I'm not, my wife is, she's superwoman and she's amazing in the yeah. things that she does, but I'm the one that they, all of them look to for protection and to provide for them and all of these things right. to take that huge element out of their lives, not without warning. Right. Right. Just out of the blue. Um, they Tragic. Tragic. And the boys at the table kept saying like I don't understand why he was just he was just trying to provide for his family and take care of us and why we're getting punished for that. You so. posted a a picture of who who I'm showing it to you <laughs> that yeah. people can't see it but who who were were these the were these the yes. immigrants in the room the yes. families? So all over the walls and the tables were large pieces of paper and people could write prayers or anything that they were feeling and I took a photo of um one in, one in particular, which were, were dreams and hopes and prayers from kids. And most of it is saying, like, this is the country of our dreams. Um, I don't want my family to be deported. It's very simple. Yeah, I'm looking at one phrase in particular that says, families united in the country of dreams. Yes. Like, that's what they're coming here for. Right. They're coming here because of this American dream that we've, you know blasted out into the world for years and years and decades yeah. and decades. They're coming here for that. Right. And we're saying, you're not welcome. Right. And I keep trying to think, like, what, what is the answer to all of this? And I think there are people way smarter than I am that could figure out a more compassionate answer <laughs> to this and a more... Um, I don't know the answer, but I do know that I feel I feel personally feel like a path to citizenship or a path to at least a work permit needs needs to happen. ASAP. How can people get involved? Yeah, well, they're actually calling for a lot of volunteers right now. Um, if you go to Turk's website or the mom bag on Instagram, I post all these ways to help. They're looking for donation wise, they need food, toiletries. Um, money for legal fees. That's the number one thing. Right. Um, they also need counselors, um, lawyers. Um, they need transportation for the families. I, I saw a photo yesterday of the meatpacking factory, and there are just all these cars deserted there from, from these immigrants. It's kind of a side story, but it's just like, What's your, what's the mom bag Instagram? Is it the underscore mom underscore bag, yes. right? Yes. So go there. I will also um, put all these links in the show notes. Can I, that picture, that photo that I just referenced, can I post that sure. in the show notes? Yes. I want people to see that. I want people, they can easily like Google translate yes. it if they need to. Yeah. Um, there's some very impactful, devastating things that are being said on there. I mean, they're very, I can't believe they're saying those things right. in the midst of I know. all that's going it's, on. This, place still is the American dream for them living here and they still have that desire and spirit. Yeah, I was just in Honduras a couple weeks ago and one of the ladies that we met with, I'm glad you pointed out at the beginning that we call them detention centers, right? Yeah. That sounds something semi-pleasant. Yeah, it's not. No, they're prisons. Right. She told a story of how she had no money left. She had four kids. She's living in Honduras up in this rural village. 
she decided she was going to try to get to America and then send for her kids. She's going to get a job and make a life, right, in the yeah. country of dreams. There's a long story, which I will not recount here, but it took her months to get through Honduras to Guatemala, through Mexico. A ton of shit happened in Mexico. She almost lost her life. Wow. Finally made it into the U.S. She wasn't in the U.S. but a few hours and was detained. <sighs> detained, quote, unquote. Yeah. Um, she said for the next six days, she was physically abused, like tortured. They had her in hands and feet shackles. Oh they gave her, she said, someday, some of those six days, we got maybe like a piece of bread and a cup of water, but no food. No, they treated us like animals. And then after six or seven days, they put her on a plane and they dropped her in a completely different city than where she lived. Like they literally just dropped her and <laughs> just essentially pushed her out of the plane, out of the airport. And you're back on your own. Yeah, it's awful. Detention center, that is not the right. proper name for it. We do treat them like animals when they come. They are coming to this country of dreams to try to accomplish some of the dreams that we've been able to accomplish. And we don't have a, like you said, we don't have a great path to citizenship. It is not easy. Right. Some of the, the misinformation that is spewed about them and about refugees, like they're coming over here to take our shit. And it's like, no, actually they spent six years, 10 years yeah. in a refugee camp. Their daughters were getting raped. They were getting abused. They didn't have the things they needed. Finally, they got here and you're gonna call them, what? Like you're, yeah. gonna, t you're gonna talk about how they're trying to take advantage of right. our stuff and trying to come over here and blow us. Like all yeah. this just misinformation and terrible things that are said. Right. I'm just glad you said that. I could talk for a long time about that, but Let's end our time together with this. Why is this work important? Why have you latched onto it? You've done, you know, it, it, people can go back and listen to our talk previously. You mentioned the mom bag, immigrant run eateries. This is, if somebody follows you online, this is, this is part of who you are. Right. This is part of your heart and your life. Why is this work important with immigrant and refugees? I think from a young age, I, I was really lucky and I went on a mission trip to Mexico when I was... 14 with my church at the time and I had just really connected with and saw that other cultures were all equals <laughs> we're all equals and I loved and I just fell in love with these people and I grew up and I just um that always stuck with me and I've never been able to shake the fact that like humans are humans and people are people and if this were you what would you want to happen to you how would you want to be helped and um, these people are not criminals. They're not here to steal from you. They do the hardest jobs. They, if they, I don't know. They, um, they just work so hard, and all they want is the best for their children. And I'm just gonna say one more thing, real quick. Yeah, is that go for it. When they, when you hear on the news that these people are criminals, I want you to know that a criminal act can be just a speeding ticket, or. Um, a parking ticket. Yep. <laughs> and if you keep hearing that these people are criminals, another criminal act can be just that they came here without papers. Yeah. That doesn't mean that they're bad people. No. So, no, they were they were dying. They were destitute. They yeah. needed something. You and only, so they took risks and risked their lives. You only leave your home if you're desperate. Yeah. Or if you need a better life for your family. And I think any person would do that for their family. We are just really lucky that we don't have to leave. Very lucky. I want to encourage everyone that is listening. I Maybe I'm assuming wrong, but I assume that most people that are listening right now don't personally know or engage with on a regular basis a refugee or an immigrant. 
maybe immigrants more than refugees, but probably most people don't do that. And that's why they're so readily open to this misinformation. There's a family right now. I won't give a lot of details because I want to keep some sort of privacy. There is a refugee family that a group of friends and me, we take care of. They're from uh, the Con Democratic Republic of Congo. And um, we visit them every few weeks. We hang out with them. We teach them things. We help them acclimate to life in the U.S. And I, I got some news yesterday from them that was... Um, yeah, it just made me think once again of how hard they're working and how hard they're trying to make it here. Since they came, they could stay, because a lot of people say they're just leeching off of us, they're just taking yeah. our stuff. So they just lost a bunch of their funding mm -hmm. because three of their teenage children got jobs. Mm. So, and I, I, I get it. These people have to put, these, these organizations that give them money have to put their money where, you know, they're now receiving yeah. some sort, it's probably very minimum wage. The one son works at the, at the meat, a meat factory. The other two got fast food jobs, but they lost a lot of their funding, their money. Yeah. And so now they're saying we can't, like our rent is going up to 1500 a month for their apartment and we lost funding. So they asked for help, like help us find a home that we can afford yeah. on what we're making right now. I point all that out to say, these people are not sitting around watching Netflix all right. day, getting their checks. They are hardworking people. They've only been here a couple months. They don't have a vehicle. Right. And all three of the teenage children, well, one is just above teenage years, but they're all young people. They're not adults yet. They all have jobs already, wow. plus high school, plus all of these things. So get to, that's my one number one, I guess, call to action for those listening yeah. is get to know these people. Right. Yes, there are bad apples in every group. There are tons of white, lazy ass, like bad apples, yeah. right? That we don't write off a whole entire group of people right. because of, of people that don't use their resources in their life well. We shouldn't do that with immigrants and refugees either. Right. They're amazing people. They're way more hard, they're way more hardworking than most of us. And they mm -hmm. just want a life for themselves. Right. They, want a they want a successful life where they can take care of their kids and their families and have a future. Right. The dream. The dream, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. I hope this will be super helpful. Everyone, Thank I'll you. put uh, notes, I'll put links and stuff for how you can get involved in the show notes. Um, maybe this isn't your thing, the main thing you're gonna be involved in, but there's something here. You can go on to that Amazon wish list and you can purchase something that that's sent there. You can give five, $10 to the work that's being done. This doesn't have to be your main thing. You don't have to be making the trips and organize groups like Beth is doing or take care of a family like I do. You have something that you can do. Um, so do it. Yeah, thank you Yeah, for thanks. Me. Yeah, thanks so much for being on, Beth. Beth is a hero of mine, and now you can see a little more why that is. She is a damn giver indeed, and I hope you'll consider whether or not you can support the work she is doing. I'll link to her social media and her projects in the show notes, which can be found at letsgiveadam.com. Now, for the final part of our podcast today, I have compiled special moments that stuck out to me from several conversations over the last few months. You're about to hear bits and pieces from my conversations with Kareem Manuel, Nora Tagori, Jeremy Courtney, David Vobora, a little more from Beth Matthews, Jeremy Valorand, Grace Tyson, Kevin Lyman, and Chelsea Clinton. 
So without further ado, here are some incredible moments that I was able to experience and many of you have if you've listened to them. Here are some of my favorite moments over the last few dozen episodes. Here you go. You have a similar story. Yeah. Anybody who's successful, I feel like it has yeah. a similar. You can't give up. You can pivot. You can change. Like, I don't have a video company anymore. I'm not doing the pallets, but I couldn't give up trying to be who I am. Yeah. Uh, and it gets it, it gets lonely and it gets depressing sometimes when you're like, I feel like I should be further along. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I don't have what it takes. You're probably right. You don't it's know true. what you're doing. You don't have enough. You should be further along. So what? So, so what? Yeah. You get to make it to tomorrow. You get up, you try again tomorrow, and you learn the lessons from the day before. Um, and you figure out why it didn't work yesterday, and you try to make it work again today. In my opinion, I, and that's with this company, one of the reasons why it's going so well, in my opinion, this time as opposed to all the other ones, I made a conscious decision. I didn't care what was happening. I didn't care how I felt. I didn't care how much money was in the bank. I didn't care what people thought about it. Every single day, I was going to get up and try to move forward towards my goals. It didn't matter how much I was crying the night before. It didn't matter how, 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 how poor I thought I was, how angry I was at everything. I was going to keep moving. I always try to think of three things that I'm grateful for. This is either in the morning or in the middle of the day or at night. Um, three things that I'm grateful for that's different than like just new things that I'm grateful for. And the reason that I do that is because when you are constantly thinking of different things that you're grateful for, you are rewiring your brain to look for good and look for positivity so in your day. It's not just so important. It's necessary. Yeah. Like yes. it is so mandatory. It's yeah. insane. And so when you think of three different things that you're grateful for throughout the day, you're always going to be seeing good in everything because even like a couple of days ago, I had a really rough night and by the end of the night, I was still able to see good in what happened. Yeah. And the only way that you're able to do that and not drown in the negativity that is our society today is if your mind is already rewired to a place where you're able to see good and positivity and opportunity and light in every single crevice of mm. darkness. And um, so that's something. So even with the people that I'm very close to, like well, we can sit in silence for a while and then all of a sudden I'll ask like, so what are you grateful for today? Or I'll text my friends and be like, what are you grateful for today? Because I'm curious to like make them think, but also to just be able to remind myself of the things that, um, that I could have been grateful for today or I could have recognized today and, and then maybe recognize him down the line. And we became one of the last outposts of hope for a lot of these kids who needed life-saving surgeries. And my number started getting traded around, my phone number. People started calling me left and right and trying to put their kids in front of me so that we would provide them with surgeries. And um, people started showing up at my house that they weren't supposed to know where I lived. And taxi drivers would just bring strangers by. And uh, pretty soon it was like, wow, this something's happening here. Maybe we should... Maybe we should organize it. Maybe we should turn it into something official. And so it's kind of out of that energy and that moment that preemptive love as an organization was born. And, and the, the prevailing idea was when you're surrounded by people, militias and terrorists and standing armies who, who adopt the basic posture of shoot first, ask questions later, could we dare to be a people who would love first and ask questions later in a, in a country beset by a preemptive war committed against it, uh, could we be a people of preemptive love? And 
who we dare to jump forward to, to help you, love you, serve you before you do anything to, to help us or to get us. And uh, so, yeah, for the last decade plus, we've been blackmailing ourselves, painting ourselves into a corner so that mm. when, when the world is scary as hell, we don't have any way out except to love anyway. Yeah, you know, I have a lot of friends that are some pretty profound badasses. They're Navy SEALs and they're, you know, MARSOC Marines, special operators, and they're just problem solvers. And the, at times, the hand that's dealt to them, um, the worst card in the deck, they understand three moves from now why it's the best. And, and what I tell people is at times you don't have to, you don't need clarity to identify what the emotional feeling is attached to something good, bad, or indifferent, right? You just know it to be true. And whatever that true north is, you have to be willing to, to surrender to what you can't control, which is quite a bit. I mean, we can pretend that we influence a lot of things in our lives, but the cold hard truth is at the center of it all, we can control at times, maybe only our breathing. Um, at times, maybe only the perception of self. Um, and in those cases, that is that quote about courage, because courage isn't having the strength to go on. It's not thinking you have the strength, but going on anyway. And so, yeah, life is, life is constantly, I almost contend this, the sexual abuse as a kid, the, you know, the injuries in football, the loss of friends, all of those things that you can look back in the story and say, man, those were painful. Those were all necessary to, to give me the lens in which I operate through compassion. Because compassion is never convenient, right? You can serve without compassion. Right? I can go to a soup kitchen and I can serve soup. But compassion stops you. It interrupts you. And because it's not convenient, you know it's worth it. And in those moments, that's when you have to, to give a damn. In those moments, like my parents, they, they, I think, offered me a great gift in empathy and compassion for people. And that was, that was agnostic to you know, so many other phases, whether they were gay or straight or black or white or veteran or civilian. Like, that's the same way I built this community in the gym. This is like, hey, it is less to do about outcome and everything to do about effort. If you come here wanting to become a better version of yourself, you're the right type of person, right type of population to come in. Um, and that's the piece where I find myself. It's that I can use the gym that excites me and I can serve using compassion, true need for people where I don't just sponge their own victim mindset or their, you know, their narrative that they're lost in. Instead, I interrupt it, I disrupt it, and I look at them and I look them directly in the eye. I treat them as a whole person and they rise up. Because if you treat someone broken, they act broken. If you look into someone's soul and you say, hey, what you seek is in you, they're going to find it and you're going to get the best of them. I'm scared of everything, mm. <laughs> everything, mm. and I have been my whole life. And a few years ago, I was in Texas driving to San Antonio in the middle of the night after a friend's wedding, and I was terrified. I was by myself. I was on these back Texas roads, dark, and I was just scared. I was by myself, a woman, and I, I had a thought where I just said to myself, like, I am nervous, but I'm going to do this. Mm. And I have lived by that quote, since then. Mm. There are so many things I am nervous to do, but I'm trying to do them anyway. Fear is one of the main um, yeah. blockers yep. to stepping out of your norm yep. or stepping into something that might be uncomfortable. And what I have learned that is if you step into something that's uncomfortable when it involves 
humans <laughs> or helping people, um, so much like life fulfilling goodness can come from that. Mm. So that that would be the first step I would say is maybe you're scared like me, and maybe you can tell yourself like, yeah, I'm scared, but I'm going to do this anyway. Mm. And it might start with something simple like you're at the grocery store and you tell someone you like their hair. <laughs> I don't know. You might sound crazy, but you just said something really nice to someone. Yeah. Um, or it might be even just like getting to know your actual physical neighbors. I love my neighbors. They're they're wacky as hell. Yeah. <laughs> and like I was scared to get to know them, but I love them so much. Yeah, I think that's a really important theme of, you know, trying to remain hopeful. Um, yeah, right. You know, that one of our mantras, it's like literally written on the wall in our office that we see every day when we walk in and walk out that is central to everything we do is this phrase that it is not the injustice that drives us. It is the magnitude of hope. Mm. Um, is Yeah, Gosh, we're facing so one of the biggest injustices of our time. Absolutely. But for me, it started that that very first day in India was... I wasn't compelled to respond because I saw the darkness. Because after I saw the darkness, I just wanted to tap out. I just wanted to go home. I didn't want to see another red light area. Mm. I was compelled to respond because I saw the hope. I saw the girls who were going to college. And, who were, and so for us, the reason we do something is because we fundamentally believe there is hope. We believe we can see radical transformation. We believe we can see the end of slavery as we know it. And that sounds mm. crazy, but we we believe that we can yeah. see the end of slavery. So for us, um, to kind of get back to your question, with Rescue Freedom, we're working in 11 countries right now, and the model has continued to expand. And so we look, everything we do is broken into sort of three parts. The first one is rescue and restore, which is kind of the bread and butter. That's where we started. It's yeah. how do we get people out and restore them? And so working through this amazing global network of these local partners who are on the ground in their community, how do we find them? How do we equip them? How do we help them rescue more kids, restore more kids? But then what we started to see was that we need to go a step beyond that because what was happening was these kids and these women, as they were being restored, started to say, well, hey, we want to go back to our hometown and make sure that the parents know what's really going on. We want to prevent the next generation of vulnerable kids from being exploited. And so we kind of launched a second pillar, which is the prevent and protect, is how do we help prevent the next generation? How do mm. we go to the source where there's these vulnerable kids and start educating them and helping to equip them um, to avoid exploitation in the first place? And as we started doing that, the other thing is then as you look at the prevent and protect, you realize that even if you can protect the vulnerable, that the reason that this is all happening to begin with is because there's demand, is because there are millions and millions of men, by and large, who want to buy sex from exploited people. And as long as that's true, and as long as they're willing to pay money to do that, traffickers are gonna find yeah. vulnerable people. So you yeah. can try to prevent the vulnerable people from being exploited, but if you've got an army of men who are waiting and willing to pay to exploit, you're always gonna be a step behind trying to find the next vulnerable people to help yep. prevent. Yep. So then we said, well, we gotta go upstream again and we gotta address demand. Why are all these men buying sex? Why do so many men wanna buy sex from exploited women and children? And so the third pillar of rescue freedom is this um, kind of equip and engage um, of how do we 
engage culture and equip culture to confront demand. I would say slow down. Mm. Like truly most people's careers don't flourish until their late 30s, 40s. So and for good. some reason, so millennials, we, we want to figure out a 21 and a half. Out. Yeah. And I mean, I've talked to college students recently where I'm just like, the biggest advice I could give you right now is just enjoy it. Like yeah. stop worrying about what's, it's all going to fall into place. And with that, like stop comparing yourself. Comparison has been, I feel like the biggest thief. And we, we moved to Nashville mm. saying we will not be a nonprofit that will compare. We will be a nonprofit that is going to celebrate others. Mm-hmm. And that is what we've held on to because Instagram, social media, the moment you start comparing with everyone else's highlight reel, like you get into depression. It's like actually clinically shown. And so yeah. I think slowing down, trying like not to compare and just take the next step. Like that is what we did. It, SAS is here because we just took one next step didn't have to be a big step. It was going to the bank, opening a bank account, yeah. more research. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be these like grandiose, big measures of action. Just do something small. So right now we're at the point where I'm, it's the last warp Tour. Mm. People are going, why is the last warp Tour? I go, I think I've accomplished everything I possibly can in the format that warp Tour is in now. Uh, the world's changed a little bit. There's not a sense of the bands aren't a community anymore. They fight online. They do all this. And Warp was built on community. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to take, I'm not going to worry about the music side after Warp Tour. Mm. Music will be a threat. It's, I love music. Sure. But it's that half a million kids, the 300,000 kids out there that are super engaged into the Warped community. Yeah. Because I always said I was going to do the last tour and go be a school teacher. And then I realized oh, Warped has been a, a classroom. Yeah, 100%. It's been a classroom for people to teach them just as simple as how to go to a festival, how to work on festivals, because now all the large festivals in America, you go anywhere and it's flooded with Warped Tour people, alumni working on Interesting. them. You, brands broke on Warped Tour, yep. Hurley, Volcom, yep. yep. you know, nonprofits broke on Warped Tour. The kid that wants to attack because that one band won't be on Warped Tour, that's fine. It's, the Warped Tour really wasn't ever for you. Warped is for those kids that go back into their communities and do things. Do you have one, if you were to narrow it down, we don't have a ton of time. Do you have one piece of advice? The people listening to this podcast, they are either people that are already giving a damn in this way or that way. And then there are a lot of people that haven't quite leapt into that. They haven't figured it out yet. They're still kind of just passively living, figuring it out. If you had one piece of advice to kind of wake them out of their slumber and say, it's time, like there are things to do, what would that advice be? Well, goodness, I think if you're still slumbering, maybe you need to just pay more attention. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that to sound harsh, um, but I think everything that anyone cares about is under assault right now. I mean, whether um, we care about um, a, a woman's right to choose or LGBTQ rights or gun violence prevention or kind of quality public health programming or public education, you know, like national security, the environment, um, clean water. I mean, you know, we're now more than three years into like Flint not having clean water. Um, almost, I, I think whatever it is you care about, like it's under attack right now, um, either through um, purposeful cruelty, kind of purposeful incompetence, 
or purposeful ignorance. Um, and so I would just say kind of the next step, hopefully, is then to try to do something about it. And I think every action really matters. So you know, I took um, my daughter to the March for Our Lives on Saturday in New York. And maybe you couldn't go to the one here in Nashville, but you can still talk to your mayor, your city council, your state legislatures, your governor, your congressperson, your senators, right? I mean, they're kind of is always something to do on whatever issue you care about. And I would just say, you know, make sure you're registered to vote. Make sure everyone you know is registered to vote. Make sure you vote in every single election. Friends, I hope you have been encouraged and challenged and blessed, frankly. Lots to learn from and process in our episode today. I know it was a lot. Today, probably more than many episodes, it felt like drinking from a fire hose but that's okay every once in a while. Hit me up on social media at Nick Lepara everywhere or email me hello at nicklapara.com with any thoughts or questions. I wanna hear from you. I wanna help you process well. You can find links, resources, and show notes for this conversation and all the others. Plus you can find other ways to join in on what we're doing by going right now to letsgiveadam.com. If the Let's Give a Damn podcast is adding value to your life in any way, my one big ask is that you go to Apple Podcasts right now and leave us a five-star rating and review. It truly does help us. This podcast, as always, was edited and mixed by the incredible Chad Snavely in Nashville, Tennessee. I am truly, truly honored that you chose to spend time with me today and that many of you choose to spend time with me each and every week. It means the world to me. Just remember that these stories aren't just for listening. They're meant to inspire you to do and to be more. Keep giving so many dams. I love you all. Until next time, bye.